0: Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Family Business Today, where every family business has a story to tell and a step to take to not only thrive, but working together, create a lasting family legacy. I'm your host, Greg Lewis. Our guest today is Greg Young, Senior Investment Strategist with Bernstein Private Wealth Management in Dallas, Texas. Greg provides thought leadership on market, investment, and asset allocation issues and oversees portfolio management communications to both internal and external constituencies. Greg earned his BA in economics from Baylor University and an MBA from the Edwin L. Cox School of Business at Southern Methodist University. Well, hello, Greg. Thank you for joining me for this edition of Family Business Today.
1: Good morning Greg. Thank you. Great to be here.
0: Well, you know it's always great to have a show uh with two Gregs on it. So we'll we'll try not <laughs> to get confused today. Well, exactly. I've really been looking forward seriously to our conversation today about the economic outlook for 2023. Of course, obviously we'll talk a little bit about 2022 and how we got here, but also really looking ahead. I know that uh, all of our listeners are bombarded every day with news about supply chain issues, inflation, and a recession. And I know that we will have more clarity as family business owners after our conversation today. So let's get started. You're the Senior Investment Strategist at Bernstein Private Wealth Management. Tell us about what your role in working with family-owned business leaders is.
1: Yeah, happy to do that. First of all, again, thank you, Greg, for the invitation. Um, It's a pleasure to join you today. Um, Look forward to to our conversation. So just a little bit about Bernstein uh, for the benefit of your listeners and then my role specifically. So Bernstein Private Wealth Management, as a part of the larger um, AB or Alliance Bernstein, we are manage about three quarters of a trillion dollars um, in assets for clients literally all over the world, um, a lot of institutional investors. The area that I focus in is with our high net worth individuals and wealthy families, um, so Bernstein Private Wealth. Um, the firm has been around for well over 50 years Um, and while there are are a lot of money management firms out there, a lot of very good firms, Bernstein is somewhat unique in our space because we are one of the only pure play money managers. We are only in one sense. We only do research and manage money for clients, so everyone in the organization, all 3,500 people across the board all around the world show up for work each day with only one goal, and that is to make money for our clients. We're not managing our balance sheets or trading our balance sheet in a potential conflict with clients. So that's just a little bit about Bernstein. Okay.
0: In
1: my, in my role as an investment strategist, we have a team, about two dozen of us within the firm, whose job really is to decide on the platform that we want to propose to our clients. Uh, we're ultimately responsible for You know, the allocation advice of the firm, uh, working through complex situations with clients and advisors and really be in a position to lead the overall private client investment platform. So uh, this is a a very good time to be having this conversation and hopefully in my role uh, working with large families, including a lot of family owned businesses, uh, we should have a fruitful conversation.
0: Oh, that's great. That's great. Well, you know, uh, we came out of the pandemic 2021 and into 2022 and things have really been uh, uh, going, uh, some might say crazy, some might say been going great. But investments, though, in particular, have taken a hit in 2022. What are markets doing so badly this year?
1: Well, that is the uh, proverbial $64,000 question. And uh, you know, you're know right to go back and set it up and talking about the years preceding this. Um, just to give you some sense of how good things had been going into this year, you look back over 2019, 20, 21, all equity markets around the world were up um, some very significantly in the U.S., we were clearly the leading geography, and within the U.S. in particular, everybody probably remembers, you know, technology, the big growth stocks, the Amazons, the Teslas, the Apples of the world have done phenomenal. Just looking at U.S. growth stocks as an example, had over that period of time cumulatively were up 141 percent. So very good time leading into this year and unfortunately we're experiencing the mirror image the mirror opposite of what we experienced in the three years prior every almost every asset class not just every equity market but certainly every equity market is negative so the question is why and you know we can very easily lay the blame uh, at the foot of inflation uh, inflation, for a variety of reasons, a lot of which, frankly, having to do with COVID and the response to lockdowns, and you know, a, a tremendous amount of stimulus. Um, just focusing on the U.S. for the moment, that was thrown in by the federal government. Uh, the Federal Reserve got into the act um, to, you know, provide monetary stimulus everything to basically get through, uh, you know, a completely unfamiliar situation for some unknown period of time. So they pulled out the stops. The good news is, is that, you know, more or less, uh, we were able to economically get through that, but it really, um, I think we can say with some confidence is sort of unleashed inflation. And so here we are today the Federal Reserve, which is in charge of ultimately the money supply and has really has sort of primary responsibility of, you know, trying to get inflation under control. I think charitably we can say they were caught somewhat flat footed um, and frankly underestimated the scale, you know, the severity of the inflation problem. And to be more specific, as the Fed Adjusted and caught up with the severity of inflation, they've had to consequently uh, raise interest rates and forecast or telegraph that they're going to continue to raise interest rates very aggressively. And so that change in tone uh, in response to new, you know, sort of data on the ground really violently you know impacted markets we've just had a very severe repricing across the board um and so here we are
0: <laughs> well that's good well that was a, a lot of lot of things there let's sort of break it down into some uh, uh pieces there so uh we're coming to the end of 2022 and and as as business owners uh uh we like to look through the windshield rather than through the uh, back window. Uh, Tell us about 2023, will it be a better year for the stock market?
1: You know, I sure hope so. And I I think there's good reason to believe that it will, but let me just sort of be very clear. Um, We're not out of the woods um, by any means on, you know, today, while you and I are having this conversation, this morning, we got um, updated inflation numbers, CPI data, for September, and it was bad. Uh, It continues to show inflation pressures are very significant, particularly in the housing um, side of the equation. The labor market's very strong. um, And those two categories to be specific are really what the Fed at this point is targeting. Um, And they're gonna continue to tighten the screws um, until they see evidence that that is occurring So uh, we are not yet at a point where we can say with a great deal of confidence that, uh, you know, it will be mission accomplished next year. However, the good news, the way you framed your question about the stock market, markets are always forward looking. And so even before, you know, there's confirmation um, that the Fed's Policies have had the desired effect, markets will tend to front run that. They will anticipate this good news or, you know, the at least less bad news, and they'll do that in advance, months in advance. So I, at this point, we think it's a pretty good likelihood that some point next year, you know, maybe in the summer, um, that markets will, um, you know, have enough. Confidence that they can see some light at the end of the tunnel, that the Fed will be in a position to send the signal that they're getting close to done and markets should start to recover. Historically, the precedent is when the market sees that inflation has hit its peak, that markets rally on average, you know, double digit um, over the next 12 months. And so that's the, that's the signal that we're all waiting for. Um, hopefully that will happen next year. Um, and you know, we will continue to keep an eye on it as will everyone else.
0: Sure, sure. Well, great, great lead-in to our, our, our next question. So you know, uh, as you talk about somewhat of a crystal, crystal ball, but uh, uh, so how bad will inflation get?
1: Yeah, we're kind of in it right now. Honestly, we are, there are a lot of different ways to measure inflation, the ones that get the most press. I'm talking about the headline rate for consumer price index, for example. You know, we're well over 8% on a year over year basis compared to a year ago, prices, generally speaking, are up well over 8%. That's extraordinary. We haven't had that kind of pressure in decades. Now, that will ultimately abate. Um, we're already seeing some improvement on the goods side. Think of things that are manufactured um, that would be you know, sort of um, part of the whole supply chain, uh, products that we, would, that we were all buying when we were locked in our homes two years ago, et cetera. We're seeing plenty of evidence in our opinion that that side of the equation is improving it's the services side, think housing, think you know, travel, think uh, healthcare, et cetera. That side is still going up and that side tends to be sticky and it tends to persist. Um, and that's what worries the Fed. Um, but that's also the area of the economy that is most susceptible, that is m- most responsive To higher interest rates, housing being the best example. So, I guess, along with an answer to a short question, you know, we're probably getting pretty close to hitting, um, you know, that peak inflation. Uh, We're going to continue to see housing prices. It'll take a while, probably another six months, before there's enough evidence in the data where housing price slowdowns eventually show up in the data. So we're, you know, a good three to six months away from that. But in the meantime, the aforementioned progress on the goods front would continue to let some pressure, you know, sort of take the the foot off the gas pedal on that side of the equation. So with any luck, Greg, we're we're if we're not already there, we're hopefully soon going to be able to say that we're seeing sort of the peak uh levels of inflation and you know the fed is going to continue to tighten they're almost certainly going to do another 75 basis points at the next meeting in november so they're going to keep their foot the pressure on um, at least over the next few months Mm. and then maybe we'll start to see some some improvement as we roll into next year
0: Sure, sure. Well, great, great answer. I I, I do know, Greg, uh, in our family business advisory work, uh, a number of our clients are in that manufacturing space. And I know in uh, 2021 uh, items such as stainless steel and other raw materials, There was a real tightness of supply and pricing was just continuing to rise dramatically. But I I was talking to one of my clients just last week was telling me that they've actually seen some decrease in the uh, raw material costs for stainless steel recently and the availability is starting to Mm -hmm. come back. So maybe there's some positive signs there for especially in the manufacturing space uh, that uh, we work in. Yes. Um, Well, you talked about uh, another increase in in interest rate, but I suppose the question I have is, is higher interest rates a short-term fix for inflation or is it a long-term solution?
1: Yeah, Um, it's definitely, it's definitely, you know, part of the solution. I guess we define that as part of the short-term fix for inflation. And As far as the long term, you know, interest rates will ultimately sort of reflect expectations for future inflation and what bondholders demand to be compensated for to protect them against the risk of future inflation. There's a number of ways to sort of measure that, but when you take a look at the bond market today. You, if you've ever heard of the expression of an in inverted yield curve, that means mm-hmm. the shorter term rates are higher than longer term rates. And sort of the classic example of that is the two-year treasury. Treasury bond that matures in two years. Today is at about 443. And a 10-year US treasury, sort of the benchmark, is out there around 395. So we've got a very much of an inverted yield curve. And that two-year treasury is, um, most closely associated with what the expectation ultimately is for fed funds or the rate that the federal reserve is most directly trying to influence when we say that the fed is pushing up rates it's technically it's that fed funds rate that they're directly Mm -hmm. addressing and the treasury market reflects that and forecasts that through the yield of the two years so how bad you know where will rates settle as the short-term fix well the Today, that two-year is saying that it's expecting the Fed funds rate that's right now at about, call it three and a half, to ultimately get up closer to four and a half. So somewhere Mm -hmm. in the four and a half percent range sometime in the spring likely next year is the current betting. And because the 10-year is lower at around 395, we don't think that probably gets any higher than 4%. There's a reason to think that the longer term rates would not go higher than that, than that Fed funds rate. And it's mainly because everyone expects the economy to slow. If the economy slows, the Fed ultimately stops raising rates and eventually is in a position where they have to start easing rates. And that's reflected in that, in that longer term uh, yield curve. And so shorter term fix, um is definitely being applied right now the longer term solution yes that's the interest rates will reflect and today reflect sort of a four percent number um, to uh uh, sort of keep those inflation expectations at bay and i just quickly real quickly add when we look at other indications of what are what are markets anticipating for future inflation not just in the yield curve but literally You go out and you survey participants, what do you think inflation is going to be five years from now? The good news is is that all of those forward expectations are still very well anchored. Nobody, very few people, I guess, I would say, are expecting the current high levels of inflation to persist. So that's important. If the Fed can keep those longer term expectations anchored, then ultimately they'll be successful. Mm -hmm.
0: Very good, excellent, excellent, excellent answer to that. Um, may not be what we all like to hear, but it's <laughs> excellent yeah. answer. Well, so so uh, uh, we talk about recession. What is the uh, definition of a recession, and are we are we currently in one, or are we soon to be in one?
1: yeah we probably are in a recession and it's funny you know what's the definition well the shorthand definition and that's all it is frankly but it's the one the press picks up on is two mm-hmm. consecutive quarters of negative gdp but technically technically this obscure little group called the national bureau of economic research the, you know, the eggheads at the NBER are the ones that come out and officially designate in the U.S. at least, whether or not we've been in a recession, when did it start, when did it end, and how bad was it, okay? Mm-hmm. So the problem with that is we won't know for some time, uh, and it will only be, you know, on a look-back basis, but I think we can all probably agree that if if we're not Technically, in a recession right now, you know the odds of being one are are pretty are frankly pretty high. I hate to say. Mm-hmm. Now the good news is is that recessions aren't all created equal. Um, mm-hmm. So the severity of it is certainly depends. Um, there are reasons to think it won't necessarily even if we go into one next year that is gonna be necessarily all that severe. I'm happy to talk about that. But look, in any event, we're gonna have several quarters where GDP growth is sort of bouncing around zero. So whether that meets someone's technical definition is almost a semantic debate. It's certainly gonna feel like
0: one. Sure, sure. So based on all of that then, uh, Greg, would you say we're closer to the end or to the beginning of a recession?
1: Yeah, um, interesting. So if if we, the most likely timeframe, if, if the US tips over into recession is probably gonna be next year, just the accumulated okay. impact of higher interest rates and our own forecast at Bernstein for calendar year 2023 is growth that's barely positive. So that would tell you that that's the most likely you know summer next year, maybe second half next year if we had to try to pin us down as to when we would uh, necessarily be in a recession. Um, and again, just to reemphasize the point I said earlier, if that comes to pass, um, it would be it would not be out of character for markets seeing that, to already start to anticipate an eventual easing on the part of the Fed, or at least a lessening of interest rate pressure. And that's all you would need to sort of have a catalyst for you know, uh, the beginnings of a recovery in the
0: markets. Sure, sure. well, thank you. Thank you. Well, you know, it depends on whether you're a, a, a guy glass half full or a guy who's a glass half empty. Uh, if some of our listeners are, are thinking about all this and there's uh, they're they're trying to decide is it is it time for us to panic? <laughs>
1: mm, yeah, yeah. yeah, I, I look, panic. I understand the intent of the question. I will say, from our vantage point here, um, you know, working with some of the wealthiest families in the country, emotion is usually almost never um, sort of the right um, response or the right Hmm. faculty to use in making financial decisions. It's understandable, uh, particularly if we're all sort of caught off guard by circumstances, but it's almost never the case that you know a, a decision made in the midst of of, of of high emotion winds up being the best long-term solution. So, no, panic's never the right response. And, and frankly, to be a little bit more um, to the point, I, you know, I mentioned that recessions aren't all created equal. There's reasons why we do not think this will be a particularly severe recession. Why is that? Well. First of all, because we've got a very strong labor market and yes, unemployment is going to go up, but it's starting from a three and a half percent unemployment rate, which is extraordinarily good in the scheme of things. So joblessness will go up, but from in, you know, compared to prior downturns, that is um, that's imminently survivable. And probably more importantly is to frankly, household balance sheets, corporate balance sheets are all in very good shape. You know, companies, by and large, have delevered over this period of time or the leverage that they've taken on in the era of low interest rates um, were for primarily for share repurchases and it's very easy to turn off share repurchases there was very little debt accumulation in the scheme of things that um, you know that can't be sort of unwound, uh, or that was necessary to fund core organic growth and, and household balance sheets coming out of the housing crisis of 14 years ago. Um, good news is that households, particularly homeowners, have built up, for the most part, have built up equity in their homes. Uh, we're not going to see a repeat of the housing cycle. We're going to see a we're going to see a downturn, but it's not going to be anything. Um, like we've experienced in the past, the the only part that is more severe or is more significant on the negative side for the economy is that the Fed is is raising faster at a faster pace than they typically do. Mm. Higher rates in a shorter period of time is tough. That's 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 hard to to deal with. Um, and so that element, and that, and the fact that foreign countries, foreign trading partners, you know, hoping to see sources of growth overseas to sort of support, you know, maybe weaker growth here, we're just not going to have that. Um, Hmm. You know, we've got our challenges, but we're compared to many, we're in a much better place than a lot of other countries are in the world.
0: Well, I appreciate it. So uh, a great segue into uh, uh, what's the good news out there, Greg? (laughs) <laughs> well, this too shall pass. Um, you know,
1: <laughs> uh, markets go through markets go through cycles. <laughs>
0: yeah,
1: and without without hopefully coming across as being cavalier or unsympathetic, um, sure. look, we uh, have certainly experienced our share of cycles. Just the nature of the job that we're in, we're right there on the front lines, and it's important that. Uh, whether you're a family business owner, or you're a big institution, it doesn't matter from an investment standpoint, allocation is paramount and having the appropriate asset allocation is always wise. But there is a silver lining to, you know, big downturns in the markets. And that is that for most investors that have some amount of long term capital, capital that they're you know, committing for long-term appreciation. Big downturns are almost always a wonderful time to put some of that money to work. You know, now appropriately, maybe you leg into it as opposed to pushing all of your chips to the middle of the table at once. You have to be smart about it and it has to be sized appropriately. But all of those caveats, just those, the straight-up fact of being able to buy after, you know, stocks have come off 25%, Bonds of various stripes, high-quality muni's are down eight percent, and you know, low-quality taxables are down in the teens. If I can buy something that's on sale, um, and I intend to, you know, hold that asset for some period of time, mm-hmm. um, you're always, you're almost always going to be better off. Now you don't know the timing of that, and so that's why there are strategies to help gain that exposure, whether that's dollar cost averaging and the like, but this, the good news is, is that for investors that are, have got their spending spoken for, you know, they're not worried about where their next meal is going to come from or how they're going to pay taxes next April. They're thinking longer term. This is a wonderful time to put that capital work.
0: Very good. Very good. So beyond, um, Putting your capital to work right now. Uh, what are some insights that you might provide to a family business leader uh, to help better plan for tomorrow? If let's say uh, they 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 own a family business and they're they're working with their family uh, to uh, uh, in the marketplace right now.
1: Yeah, yeah. A couple of thoughts um, from an investment standpoint. Look, we'll get out of this this cycle will turn eventually and we'll be back to quote unquote normal at some point. The The problem is going to be that going forward, that future returns in the public capital markets and stocks and bonds are just not likely to be what they have been historically for a whole bunch of reasons. but. We just don't expect future returns to be as good as they have been historically, and unfortunately it'd be accompanied probably by more volatility, you know, more fluctuation in asset values. And so that's that makes it tough. Uh, that makes it for those professionals like us that are in the business of trying to give allocation advice to investors, that sort of weighs on um, you know, what we're doing and, and what we're recommending for clients. And look, the situation. The answer is for every individual is it depends, and so it certainly sure. depends on someone's specific circumstances. But in general, dealing with that for tomorrow, um, in our world, probably leads you know the the wealthy family, the the high net worth individual, to maybe begin to rely less on the public stock and bond markets not exit them, but just rely mm-hmm. less on that and to find more diversifying strategies can, that can help. So that's sort of point number one. Point number two is politically, or I should say sort of macroeconomically, mm-hmm. we're probably we're probably in an era and we'll be in an era for the foreseeable future where inflation is just going to be an issue, even before COVID came along and what we've seen over the last couple of years. Politically, we were already setting up to have the sort of transition out of the disinflationary era of globalism, unrestricted free trade, you know, pro-immigration, et cetera, to much more of a populist populism type of Mm -hmm. politics, which is really, if you define it. It's sort of a raise the drawbridge and just hunker down behind your you know behind your walls it's anti-globalism and it's not necessarily open to free trade immigration's anathema and all of that um you know uh, more or less is sort of inflationary and so the conditions were already set up where inflation was likely to be more of an issue going forward than it had been in the past and we still very much think that's the case. And by the way, that's not just here in the US, that's not just a reference to our own political situation, that is a global phenomenon. And so for the business owners out there, for families, um, I I would expect lower future capital market returns, I would expect more volatility, I would expect more inflation, not bad inflation, but just more inflation than what we've seen historically. And I would expect that we're going to see more interventionist policies on the part of of governments, almost irrespective of which party is in control.
0: Wow. Wow. Well, thank you so much for sharing that great perspective of all of that. And it's it's, it's funny how uh, we could talk on for 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 a long time about this subject. And uh, certainly an expert in this area. Uh, what are some closing thoughts you'd like to share with our listeners today?
1: Well, first of all, thank you again for um, Greg for the opportunity to come in and talk. I've, I've really enjoyed it. Um, I think this is a great service um, for. You know, for family, for business owners, and um, you know, we, in in my job at my firm, uh, while we work with all sorts of people, if you had to look, sort of, what's the the category of individuals we tend to work with the most? Frankly, it is entrepreneurs. It's folks that are, have created businesses, have had liquidity events, and have sold businesses. And I guess the thoughts I would leave, I feel like I've sort of, uh, you know, beaten a horse on the economic side and the inflation side. So maybe I'll leave, leave you with this. From the business owner standpoint, someone with wealth, someone with money, someone that um, is thinking multi-generational. The other point that I would make is that um, in addition to you know, being um, a good time to think about putting capital to work, it's unambiguously the case that this is a very appropriate time to be having conversations with your advisors, with the professionals you trust when it comes to wealth transfer, to trust in estate professionals, tax professionals. Um, there are strategies that are um, appropriate under the current circumstances. And there are, because of the decrease in asset values, there are some of those strategies look even more appealing than others. And I can't do it justice in the 30 seconds that I have left, but I would just encourage um, your listeners to the extent that they have folks that uh, that advise them in those areas, or if they'd like to contact someone at Bernstein that can help them with that. This is, in addition to everything going on in their financial life, this is a very good time to be having those types of conversations. Um, And don't let the future sort of sneak up on you that way. Um, You know, taking preparation in advance for something that we all know is going to occur in the future with, you know, when the wealth is ultimately going to transfer out of your hands into those that you care about or institutions or organizations that you care about, it's always better to plan in advance.
0: Well, Greg, thank you for being our guest on Family Business today. Please accept our best wishes for continued success for you and Bernstein Private Wealth Management as you address the challenges that extend well beyond wealth management by offering a vast network of resources personalized to client values and needs. Thank you. To learn much, more great. about Bernstein Private Wealth Management. Visit their website at www.bernstein.com.